But let me pray for us, and then let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 28. God, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to gather together as your church here. We don't want to take this gathering lightly. We want to remember, Lord, what is happening as we meet together as the church and what you are doing through the body of Christ here. Father, we pray that our eyes will be fixed on Jesus, the risen Jesus, who is seated on his throne, who is accomplishing all his purposes. Help us to remember, Lord, the power of the gospel, and we pray that you would equip us to boldly proclaim it to the lost so that sinners will be saved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I, we love watching action films. And in a particular genre of action movies, um, you have a spy or a soldier who is given a mission by his boss with very little information. And that's what makes these movies so interesting. There is sometimes just a picture or a map and the hero, the spy, looks at this and says, I accept the mission. And at that point, we are wondering, how is it that the hero knows exactly what the mission is and how he's supposed to accomplish it? Of course, in an amazing way, the hero not only knows what to do, but accomplishes it perfectly despite many challenges, and almost everyone is saved. Well, the church, too, is given a mission by God. But unlike these movies, you know, we are not left in the dark as to what the mission of the church is and how it is that we are to accomplish it. It is important that we spend time thinking about that question. What is the mission of the church and how exactly it is that we are to fulfill it? Because today, there is great confusion when it comes to this one question, which is, what is the central task that is given by Jesus to his church? What is it that he has said that we must not be distracted from, that we must be laser-focused on? You should know that just because there is a lot of confusion, it doesn't mean that the Bible is not clear on this question. And in fact, this afternoon, we're going to turn our attention to one of the clearest mission statements that the church has been given in the entire New Testament. And that is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles. It's the very end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And let me read this for us. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you have been reading Matthew's gospel and you have been following the story, 
These events, this passage that we are looking at this afternoon, comes right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And these are the very last words, not just of Matthew's gospel, but the very last words that Jesus leaves his disciples with before he ascends into heaven. This is a very important time in Jesus's ministry on earth, in his resurrected state before he ascends into heaven. Now you would think of all the things that Jesus would do, he would go to the people that opposed him. Even right now, the rulers are plotting to spread false and lies about the resurrection of Jesus. They're spreading news that the resurrection of Jesus has not happened. And you would think that maybe Jesus would go to his enemies to prove to them that he has really risen from the dead. But that's not what he does. Or you would think that maybe Jesus would go and have a convention of the thousands of people that experienced his miracles, saw the great wonders and signs that he did, and heard his teaching, but that's not what he does. In verse 16 and 17, we see Jesus gathering his disciples up on a mountain, as he has done so many times before in Matthew's gospel, to give them the most important words that will shape their task and the task of the church till Jesus returns again. So this, this time, up on the mountain, the risen Jesus, his words, they carry special weight. Now in this great commission passage, as many people have called it, I want us to notice three things, three simple truths that we can get from what Jesus is teaching here. Firstly, his declaration of his authority, that is in verse 18. Secondly, his command to make disciples in verse 19 and 20. And finally, his assurance of his presence with his disciples, the end of 20. So in this great commission passage, we have two amazing claims by Jesus and sandwiched between them is the task that he gives his church about what they are to be about till he comes back. So let's just take it one at a time and think about what is it that Jesus is teaching us. Firstly, his declaration. All authority in heaven and on earth, he says, is given to him. Think of the astounding claim that Jesus is making here. He is making the absolute claim that he is the king and Lord of the entire universe. Now, if you go back to the very first verse of Matthew's gospel, you will know why Matthew is writing this gospel. He wants us to know that Jesus is the son of David. And all through Matthew's gospel, that's what he's doing for us. He's trying to show us that Jesus is the son of David. Now, when we think of that title, the son of David, we must go back to an important promise that God had made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And you can read that important passage later. But there, God promises David that a son of David will establish an eternal kingdom. And people have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years to see the fulfillment of this promise that God had made to David. And the prophets later wrote that of his kingdom, there will be peace and justice and righteousness forever because his kingdom will never end. And so when we come to Matthew's gospel, 
Matthew is very interested in showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is that king. He's the son of David. But do you notice here, Jesus is claiming that he's not just a king of Israel. He's saying he is the king of the entire universe. He says all authority in heaven and on earth is his. Let's not make any mistake about what Jesus is claiming here. This is a claim that only God can make. Very simply, Jesus is saying, he is God. No wonder in verse 17, even before Jesus taught anything, some of the disciples worshipped him. And that was the right thing to do. You know, hundreds of years before this, the prophet Daniel foresaw this day when he wrote, one like a son of man, in his vision, he writes this, one like a son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And now we know, coming to the end of Matthew's gospel, that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Now, it's important, to, important that the disciples clearly understand what Jesus is claiming here, because he's just about to ask these 11 trembling men to be the foundation of his church who are going to call people from all nations to profess that Jesus is their God and Savior. So what difference should this declaration make to the disciples? And therefore to us today, what difference should this make to us today, hearing that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, first of all, the disciples don't need to be afraid because Jesus has all authority and his authority makes his mission, which we will see in just a few minutes, but his authority makes his mission possible. Secondly, his disciples don't have to worry about making Jesus king. He is already the king of the world. Now, this is so counterintuitive to us today. I'm sure many of you have seen this in your own countries. You know, you have politicians who have people who work for them, whose job it is to win support for the politicians. And uh, the more people that support them, the more authority they have. And if people stop supporting them, they lose their power and authority. You, you, know, you know this from your own countries, right? Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not like that. The disciples of Christ are simply making known the truth about who Jesus is, that he is the king of the world. If some people reject him, it does not mean that his mission has failed. So, brothers and sisters, you know what this means? This is an encouraging truth for us all. The church is sent out into the world, not so that Jesus will reign, but because he already does. But thirdly, and most importantly, it matters a lot that Jesus has all authority and that he tells us this because he and only he gets to decide what the mission of the church is and how it is to be fulfilled. So the mission of the church is not something that is determined by the elders of the church. It is not something that the senior pastor gets to decide. It's not even the congregation. It's not those who give it money. It's certainly not the government. Only Christ has the authority to say what the mission of the church is and how we must accomplish it. And so what that means for us as a church is 
obeying the Great Commission is a matter of submitting to the kingship of Jesus. Because we cannot claim to be the Church of Christ and reject what he has so clearly told us we must be about. If we say we are the body of Christ, we must go where he leads us. So then let's think about his command to his disciples. Christ's command, make disciples of all nations. You know, with all the authority that Jesus has in the universe, he could have asked his disciples to do anything. Topple governments, build monuments, stop corruption. But what is Jesus most interested in? This, make disciples of all nations. Everything else there in verse 19 and 20 is about how to accomplish it. Accomplish it. But the main command, the central task of the church is to be about this, to make disciples. So what this means is Christ is entrusting his authority to the church for this singular purpose, to call people from all nations to follow him so that they may praise him and obey him now and forever. If the task of making disciples is important to Christ, then it must be important to us too. Now today, many people will disagree that this is the mission of the church, making disciples. There are many people who say that the church should be just as much involved in other things, like changing the state of the society that we live in, or preserving the natural world, the environment that we are living in. Now these are the loudest complaints that the church hears today, and it is tempting to be distracted from the main thing that Jesus has laid out for his church to follow here in these verses. We have been constantly told that the church is not doing enough by the world. Now don't get me wrong, all of those issues are very important, and they definitely impact our lives here on earth. And as Christians, we must be concerned about those issues. But there is a big difference between what an individual Christian could do and what a church should do. To put it another way, non-Christians, too, can work to make this world a better place to live in. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. Yes, Christians have a better reason to do all those things. But let's not miss this, that the church has a unique call that the world does not have. And that is to proclaim the gospel to the world. The world cannot make disciples of Jesus. That is the highest privilege of the church, making disciples of all nations. And if the church forgets this for all the other goals that it pursues, it's not okay. Other problems in the world can seem loud. It can seem pressing. It can seem urgent. And we might constantly feel like everything we are doing doesn't really make a difference in the world. But we must strive to keep the main thing the main thing, as Jesus has told us. You know, here's another reason why we cannot afford to be distracted from this task of making disciples. You see, as Christians who trust in the word of God, God has opened our eyes to see the reality of the judgment day. You know, we see the reality of things that the world cannot see. And when we forget the reality of eternal judgment as the greatest of human suffering, we will be distracted from what Christ has called us to do by other things that seem more pressing. 
you see the suffering that we see in the world, and we must be concerned about the suffering. We must do something about the suffering that we see in the world. But the suffering in this world does not compare to the unending suffering that comes after death. Whereas Jesus says, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. We cannot forget the reality of hell as Christians and reminding ourselves of the coming judgment day, teaching each other every week when we gather together will keep us more committed to the task that Jesus has called us to do here. You know, think of what happens when a boat is untied from the dock. You will not be able to tell initially, but slowly the boat will start drifting and eventually it'll be very far away from where it is supposed to be. And this can happen in our churches as well. If we are distracted, we may not be able to tell immediately, but eventually, over time, we will find ourselves very far away from where we are meant to be. So how do we stay focused on this task of making disciples? Well, we should make it the priority of our weekly gathering. This is why in our churches we must teach about it. We must pray for the unreached peoples in the world to hear the gospel of Jesus. We must pray for churches in other parts of the world to boldly proclaim the gospel and to be clear witnesses of Jesus wherever God has placed them. This is why we want to generously support the work of evangelism and missions and church planting and why we want to not do this alone, but we want to link arms with other churches and encourage other churches to do the same. So friends, disciple making, that is what Jesus says is the central task of the church. Now he tells us how the church is to accomplish it. So he's not just told us what the mission is, but he's also clearly told us how we must go about it. Well, first, he says, it is by going. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Up until now, Israel has been the center, the spiritual center of the world. But Jesus is indicating that now he's gathering to himself through his disciples, all the nations of the world. And I wonder if you hear, even in these last verses of Matthew's gospel, an echo of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where he promised to Abraham that through Abraham and his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. But here at last, we see how that is going to be fulfilled, how God would fulfill that promise that his people were waiting for thousands of years to find out. And he says, it is through Jesus, it is through his life, his death, his resurrection, and it is through him sending his disciples to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine what an amazing teaching the Great Commission would have been to the disciples when they finally connected the dots in Acts after they received the Holy Spirit? What an amazing privilege they must have realized it is to be part of God's great plan to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But the disciples knew they can't do it on their own strength. They need God's power to be at work in them. So the story of the book of Acts is about how the disciples took what Jesus said here and sought to obey his command. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. That's the story of the entire book of Acts, how the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, it has already reached the Gentiles. And Paul describes in Acts chapter 28, Paul describes to the Jewish officials in Rome what God has done. And this is what he says. He says in verse 28 of chapter 28, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And if you keep reading, he explains how it has been sent to the Gentiles by proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts is about the disciples taking the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Friends, I hope you see what a blessing it is that you, if you are a Christian here today, that you have come to hear the gospel for yourself and you have believed in Jesus. And I want you to think back to the person that shared the gospel with you. And I want you to know this. It only happened because the disciples in the book of Acts were obedient to the Great Commission to take the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem to the whole world. And somewhere along that line, churches after churches have been faithful to the Great Commission. And I hope you see that this is still the means that God uses to save sinners, even in the most difficult parts of the world. In your own context, think of your church in Abu Dhabi. I hope you realize that your church is a result of other churches' obedience to the Great Commission. And now you're here in this country that is so diverse, that is so full of people from unreached peoples in the world, and God is using you, New Life Church, as well as other churches that preach the gospel, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What a privilege that is. Friends, the need is great, but we obey the Great Commission not just because we see the need, but because we can see what Christ is doing. Christ is making disciples from India and Pakistan. He is making disciples from Nigeria and Egypt. He's even making disciples from countries like China and Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Nothing can stop him from having his inheritance, which is a people from all nations, tribes, tongues, and languages. And it is to that end that he has ordained that the local church will be a powerful force for the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, on that note of proclaiming the gospel, if you notice in Matthew 28, technically it doesn't say anything about proclaiming the gospel. But we know this is what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples. How do we know that? It is because in the book of Acts, that's exactly what the disciples did in obedience to this. They did not just live as Christians, though that is very important. They also proclaimed the gospel. They called people to repent and trust in this Messiah. And as a result, thousands were added to their number. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 onwards, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Brothers and sisters, we should never neglect proclaiming the gospel clearly so that sinners will be saved.
Well, that's the first thing that Jesus says about how we got to go about doing this. It's by going. The second step that he lays out for us is by baptizing believers. Baptizing believers. Baptism is the command that is given to the church, whereby the church makes a pronouncement on behalf of the kingdom of God that all those who have believed in Jesus now belong to the kingdom of God. The church has the special authorization to make this declaration on behalf of Christ in this world that all those who believe in Jesus through their baptism, they are now marked for the family of God. Do you notice that he says they are marked by a new name, the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit? They are sealed with a new identity. They are part of the family of God. It is to show who they now belong to, that they no longer are part of the world. That is what baptism signifies. See, the pattern we see again and again in the book of Acts is that those who received the word and believed in Jesus were baptized, and those who were baptized were added to the church. That's what happens throughout the book of Acts. But today, so often, I'm sure you've heard this, we've heard of people being baptized, but not being added to the church, as if baptism is just an individual, private experience that one goes through after they become Christians. But in the New Testament, baptism is the means by which believers are added into the church. To not add them to the church, to just simply baptize believers based on their profession of faith, is like giving birth to a baby and leaving it on the side of the road to grow up without a family or care that God has designed for them. So baptize believers. And finally, we come to the third thing that Jesus says about how we are to accomplish this task, which is to teach believers to obey everything that Christ has commanded them. Did you notice that it doesn't say just to teach believers, but to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded? In other words, this is going to take a long time. And this can only happen in the context of a local church. Believers must grow in obedience and maturity. It's not just something that can be done in a student ministry as, as uh, wonderful as it is like focus. Or it cannot be just done in a weekend conference. Believers need to be taught to obey everything that Christ has commanded them. And that happens over the course of their entire lives. And it is because of this, this thing that Jesus has told the church to be about, that when we think about missions in a context where there is no church, we not only want to see the gospel be preached in those places, but we also want to see healthy churches be established so that people will not, not just believe in Jesus, but will have a place where they will grow. You know, making disciples is not just simply about getting them in through the door just simply getting them to say with words that they believe in Jesus. But it is about growing them. It is about seeing them mature in Christ. But if you have heard many sermons on this passage, the Great Commission, this important work of discipling believers in a local church is not usually talked about when people teach about what the Great Commission is about. But we see this in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He took the gospel to new places. He planted churches, 
and then he spent a long time strengthening churches. At great cost to himself, he would write letters, even when he was in prison, just to make sure that churches were strengthened spiritually. Even churches that he himself did not plant, he would write letters to make sure that they were strengthened and they were maturing and growing. But if we are to be honest about what this means, this work of discipling believers in the local church, I'm sure you will admit that this is hard work because so many times Christians go through lots of issues. They need a lot of care. It takes a great amount of patience to do this part of the Great Commission. Christians have marital issues. They struggle with sin and they seem like it just seems like it keeps going on. They struggle with depression. They have conflicts with each other. And it is tempting to think that this work of discipling believers sometimes is a hindrance to the Great Commission. Sometimes we wish that we didn't have to do this so that the work of evangelism and missions and conversion, which is so much more rewarding, can take place. But we must remember, it is through the hard work of teaching believers and discipling believers that the church is edified and the gospel goes out even more clearly. We see this in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1.8, Paul says about that church, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Do you realize what Paul is saying there? So Paul proclaimed the gospel in Thessalonica. He planted this church. And now the word of God is spreading, not through Paul, but through this local church in Thessalonica. That's what Paul's saying is happening through this church. So friends, I want to ask you, do you see the work that you do with each other here, the work of discipling one another in your local church as an important means by which God will fulfill the Great Commission? Do you see how the ordinary ways in which members speak the truth in love to one another is the, is the important work of producing fruitful disciples for the Great Commission? You know, we may think that nothing much is happening, but if you read the Bible, this is exactly the way that the gospel goes out. Now, all of this is not to say that the work of evangelism and missions must be neglected. We want to encourage Christians to boldly and clearly share the gospel with those who are lost. And we want to ask some to even consider moving to a new place so that they can take the gospel to a place that does not have it. But we must remember, if a church is not well taught, then they are not going to be effective in evangelism, no matter where they are, no matter how eager they are. We must beware of zeal without knowledge. You know, I have this great desire someday to be like a master chef, but I didn't grow up learning how to cook at all. You know, my mother didn't allow me into the kitchen. But very often, I get very excited about the idea of cooking that I will send my wife and daughter away on a date so that I will have the whole kitchen to myself and I can cook for them. And if you're anything like me, you know, you know what happens, right? Every two minutes, I call her and I ask her, can you tell me what jeera looks like? Or is haldi powder the yellow one or the green one? 
Um, or how do I know if the chicken is cooked? See, even though I have a strong desire to be master chef without adequate training, I'm not going to be effective as I could be in the kitchen. So even for Christians, when it comes to missions, no matter how zealous Christians are, it is through the long-term faithful teaching of God's word that believers are equipped to obey the Great Commission. So let me just summarize all the things that Jesus has given us about how we are to accomplish this task of making disciples. He says, go and proclaim the gospel clearly to those who are lost. Baptize those who profess to believe in Jesus and bring them into the church. And finally, teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded them. Well, the final thing that we want to see here at the end of verse 20 is the assurance that Jesus gives his disciples that he is with them always to the end of the age. You know, this is very encouraging. It should be of great comfort to the church that Jesus' command to make disciples comes between, is sandwiched between his announcement of his unlimited authority and his enduring presence with his disciples. In other words, everything is in place for the church to do what Jesus has called her to do. The Spirit will give the church the power to do what Jesus has told us here in Matthew 28. It does not mean that there will be no opposition. It means quite the opposite. Christ will win. He will have his bride. And as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you see how interested Jesus is in his church? Jesus is so intricately, intimately connected to the church that even in his ascension, he has not abandoned her. It may feel like that. But if you read the Bible, Jesus is more so present with us now through his resurrection and his ascension and his spirit. He's present with us now to do what he's called us to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, Paul tells us about believers that we have been raised up, raised up with him. We have been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Friends, what this means is the church has nothing to fear. You know why? Because we are united with Jesus. We are as secure as Jesus is in the heavenly places. So as we listen to his command, we should know that we are with him and he is with us. And that presence of Jesus with us should light a fire in our hearts to joyfully obey what Jesus has commanded us. And he has given us a glimpse of where all this is going, of what he's doing. Let's listen to these words from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, I hope you see God is using your church, even your church, to bring this about.
And as you disciple one another, as you boldly proclaim the gospel to the lost, Christ is working in you. Friends, the gospel work that you do today will pay dividends in the years to come. You may not be around to see the fruit of your obedience to the Great Commission, here as well as in other parts of the world, but he promises that he will be present with you, and that ensures that it will happen. So keep being faithful to the ministry of the gospel that God has called you to. And I want to say as well, this command to make disciples, it should cause us to pause and examine ourselves to see if we have responded to the gospel call in our own lives. You know, friend, maybe you're here this afternoon and you have not repented and trusted in Jesus for your salvation. And if that is you, I want you to hear the good news, the good news that mankind has ever heard and will ever hear. And this good news announces to us our state that we have sinned against a holy God. We have rebelled against the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And because of that, because of our sin against this God, we deserve his wrath for all eternity. And if we were to experience that, that would be right because of who we are. We are sinners who deserve God's eternal judgment in our lives. But I want you to hear about the kindness and compassion of God, that he would send his son into this world to live a life that you and I should have lived but failed to live, to die on the cross in our place, in the place of guilty sinners who had no hope to save themselves so that they would be forgiven of all their sins and they would spend eternity with him. He did not just remain dead, but he rose from the dead, defeating sin and Satan and death. So what this means is, today, if you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus for your salvation, he promises to bring you into his kingdom so that you will be united with Jesus and you too will experience the promise of being with him forever. But friend, I also want you to know, he promises that he, when he comes back again, he will be the judge of the living and the dead. And on that day, it will be too late. I pray that if you haven't turned to Jesus, that today you will consider doing that. Don't delay. And brothers and sisters, in closing, I just want to say, as the Church of Christ, I hope you see what an amazing calling we have in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. The harvest is plenty, the laborers are few, so what should we do? Let's commit ourselves to proclaiming the gospel, to teaching God's word faithfully, to work to see healthy churches be established, and to pray that God will multiply the witness of Christ here and around the world. It is for this task that Jesus has told us that all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And it is for this task he has assured us that he will be with us till the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to proclaim Jesus, who would give up his life for us on the cross. Father, we marvel at what a great God he is, 
and how he has come to die for those who are his enemies. And we pray, Lord, that when we think of the work that Jesus has done on the cross, would it motivate us, move us to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the gospel and be faithful with the great commission that you've entrusted to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.